Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha-Torah. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are in Parsha Vayikra, uh, which is Leviticus, uh, Pirakei chapter Aleph 1, Aleph 1, uh, verse 1, to Pirakei chapter uh, Hei, 5th, to Bet Vav, which is 26, in connection with Egeret uh, to the Romans, Pirakei Aleph 1, uh, verse Kaf 20, and Kaf Aleph 21, if I'm saying that correctly. And this will be dedicated to our beloved uh, Esther Markovitz for a full recovery and a full shlema to her soon in our days. Mary Yeshua Mashiach. (laughs) Amen. Yasser Koach, that was legit. Ricochet. All right, well, you hit us off, huh? Let's do it. So, shalom, everybody. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us. Here we go. Verse 20, for his invisible characteristics from the Birat Alam, the creation of the world, are perceived intellectually to the things which have been created. That is, both his eternal Korak and Elot are discernible. So B'nai Adam have no terots, that is, excuse, and are inexcusably culpable before an angry God. Amen. Well, first up, I would like to just point out that depending on what translation you read, uh, I literally am using the Peshitta text now, um, thanks to Superman and Superwoman, uh, Ish Ma'ale, uh, bringing that down from their podcast. So check out It's Super Time on Anchor. Shameless plug, yep. But anyway, um, there's this neat little Peshitta text engine where you can look at uh, different comparisons and actually look at the interlinear of the different uh, Basora passages, the passages from Acts, and the letters and things like that. So, and this one, believe it or not, it brings up that the invisible characteristics of the Briat HaOlam are known as the occult things of Hashem. Which is kind of like, when you first hear that, it's like nails on a chalkboard. But then when you take a step back and think about what is what is a cult? A cult is a very specific, defined uh, like group with a belief system and things like that. So you can have a cult for people who love MMA. You can have a cult for people who love the Avenger movies, you know, and things like that. And so you kind of get this idea of camaraderie and things like that. So when it comes to things that are the occult of Hashem, I thought it was very, very interesting, especially since we're in Parsha Vayikra, because Vayikra really brings us into a streamline, a very, very... Uh, big opportunity of elevating from the mundane into the holy especially since vayikra which by the way is known as leviticus in english based off of the fact that this is called the law of the levites 
So this whole passage of of uh, the Torah that we're going to go through from Vayikra, the beginning of it all the way to the end, is known as the Torah of the Kohanim, or the Law of the Levites. And it's really beautiful when you think about that, because the Levites are a very specific people. You know, and when you really kind of look at how you go from like this big, broad picture, and it's like, okay, there's people all over the world, but not everyone's a Levite. And then it's just kind of like, we're supposed to be a kingdom of priests, you know? And so it's just like, so if we're kingdom of priests, that means we need to be understanding Vayikra, which means we're going to get a little bit, quote unquote, cultish, you know, as we start to dive into the intricacies of the purity rites, the sacrificial rites, the, uh, the festivals and things of that nature, because... If you didn't notice, the Yehudim, we don't really do what people of the world do. We stick out just a little bit, and we're kind of awkward, especially during, like, October to January, because we don't celebrate a lot of those popular festivals. So, you kind of get this whole picture right from the get-go that Hashem is like, He's laid everything out for us, and, like, as we're getting into Vayikra, it's like we're going backwards, like before the the stories that we would read in Bereshit, you know, like since the fall of man, Vayikra actually takes us back before the fall, which is kind of cool when you look at all the elements, because I'm going to bring this down from Rabbi Greenbaum. Uh, he is super legit. So he's basically going through from a source called Ta'ame Hamitzvot on Vayikra. And uh, it's basically starting off by saying that before we were fallen as a man, as, as mankind, that we were the sacrifice in the garden. So the whole thing, present your body as a living sacrifice. Well, that's Adam. <laughs> so let me just go ahead and get to the source here. It says, when the impure animal aspect of a man's soul gains dominion over him, it causes him to sin. To rectify this, he must bring an animal as a sacrifice. The burning of the animal on the altar draws down an exalted fire that burns away the sins. It's important to note that fire is called the love of Hashem, by the way. So when you think about for Hashem so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that is the exalted fire that comes down. That's why Mashiach Yeshua, Matit Yahu 3.11 again, that we are mikvah and fire and Ruach HaKodesh through Mashiach Yeshua. But only after we make Shuva, because guess what? No one can bring an offering to the Beit HaMikdash and put it on the altar unless they've already made Teshuva. So now we're looking at, okay, so what's the sacrifice for? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But anyway, I'm not going to answer that question. That question is meant to be thought-provoking. It's not meant to be answered. Okay, but anyway, we can't answer it, but I'm going to keep going. It says, since the impurity of the vegetable and inanimate levels is even greater than that of the animal level and causes people to sin, they too must be represented on the altar in the form of wine and flower libations and salt because we put salt on everything so wrap it up with this 
The sin of Adam caused good and evil to become mixed up, bringing a flaw into all the worlds and giving strength to the forces of evil. Everything that influences us basically to sin. And it says, accordingly, God commanded man to bring together representatives of the inanimate vegetable animal realms and through the service of the priests while the Levites sing and the Israelites stand by and the owner of the sacrifice makes teshuva. All of the worlds are cleansed and purified. So when I'm looking at this connection to the Egeret to the Romans in chapter 1 and verse 20, the occult things of Hashem, the invisible characteristics, everything is made manifest through the Corbinote. And I forgot to mention that um, Corbinote is a better word to use in sacrifice because if we use the word Corbinote, it'll give us a better understanding that everything that we're doing in the Beit HaMikdash is about drawing near to Hashem and making a connection. So that's what the word Corbinote connotates. So with all that being said, uh, we're seeing the manifestation of that which has been revealed before, but was only hidden because of our sin. And now we have to work our way back up through levels, so to speak, uh, i.e. upon the Son of Man, because angels ascend and descend upon the Son of Man, you know. So anyway, that's that's my little take on uh, verse 20. So I'll hand it over to you now. Wow, that's good. Yeah, um, this, this definitely this verse is packed as well as the next one as well. Um, something that I was noticing is that, you know, this is after the fall, and yet still his invisible characteristics are seen from creation. But obviously we knew, you know, from Ingani Din, that Shem walked in the cool of the day with Adam, and um, you had the primordial light, which, you know, emanated and, and shone forth within our own bodies and then all of creation. Um, but even in the fallen state, um, the creation itself testifies to Hashem, both His eternal power and His divine, divine nature. Um, so it's it's just uh, you know powerful, you know, to, to, to make it clear that nonetheless, even without Him being manifested in the right. physical, we still have no excuse to worship Him as He's unseen. That is beautiful. That means, uh, you know, uh, it's like an equal opportunity to know Hashem. Like, we can't go, what about the person on the faraway remote island? Mm. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Something, too, to point out, which you'll probably hit on as well, but in the second part of the of the verse, it says specifically... You know, Ben Ben Benay Adam. Come on. So he's he's really hitting both Jew and Gentile, and this is not a Jewish that's, thing. That's right. So to say. That's right. This is not. This is only for the Jews to repent. And the only you know, it's not just the Jews that are supposed to and called to glorify God, give Him glory that He deserves, and also thank Him and give Him brachas, but all of Adam and all of his children as well, and that that shuts up everyone underneath. You know. Since, since Adam, Jew, Gentile, slave-free, female, male, you know, all that. So, Man. it's definitely striking at the core and going back to the foundation of things. 
You know, I, I'll tell you that that's pretty much what uh, Rabbi Griffin from Sar Shalom, a.k.a. Lapid, has been um, dropping down uh, in the Aliyot thus far. And, you know, we've heard before that there's this infamous wall with a sign on it that's in the temple that says no uncircumcised shall enter upon pain of death. And it's just kind of like, well, that's that's mean. And yet we're talking here, Bene Adam, all of mankind is supposed to come serve Hashem. Well, not only has Rabbi Griffin been elucidating that in the Aliyah day, but he pretty much went all across like different sources that he brings down normally. And kind of a good ground for us to kind of tread through to understand this a little better. It's actually Hulin. It's a tractate of Talmud called Hulin. Uh, and it's Maseket or Daf Slika. Maseket Hulin Daf 5B. And it's going into actually saying that there are none Jews who are to bring sacrifices. And Hashem will accept them. But. There is a, a basically a non-Jew section of the temple and you're kind of confined there because you're given the opportunity to enter into Hashem. And once you're smelling the smells, hearing the sounds, participating in the service and things like that, it's like, I want to do more. At least that's what the goal is. The goal is inspired to do more, not to just go, oh, well, I came to Hashem today. I'm going to go home now. Because you realize that when it comes to our relationship with Hashem, that it's not something that we just treat like, oh, well, I've done my service once a week or I've done my service today earlier this morning. So I don't need to worry about anything else now for the rest of the day. It's like that is not the mindset that Hashem is calling us to. So not just knowing that the Jews are supposed to be the light to the nations, but all mankind is supposed to see this light and it's they're supposed to come to it and they're supposed to walk in it. And it's like, OK, so Hashem is saying there is no excuse for anyone. I'm, I'm laying it all out here. I really want the whole world to come and know me. And again, Rabbi Griffin dropped this down in the Shabbat drosh this past Shabbat that eventually all the world will bow and come before Hashem and give him praises, whether they choose to or whether they don't. So why not just choose to right now? You know, and that, that may sound kind of like, I can't believe that that just doesn't seem right. But every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It's just like, does right Hashem, we do it from a willing heart because Hashem loves a chill forgiver. But if not, you know, you're going to be brought there and there's this thing called Gehenna. There's this thing called purification. There's this thing called punishment. There's this thing called Musar. There's this thing called working out uh, your impurities with a little bit of uh, motivation, shall we say. But anyway, I'm glad you keyed in on that point. That's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right. And, you know, it says before a angry God. And it's important to know that 
it's not just like, I better come to Hashem because he's going to be angry if I don't. Because go back through the Torah portions in the wilderness. How many times was Hashem angry with the Jews? Just go back to the garden. How many times was Hashem angry with all of mankind? Because you realize when Hashem displayed his anger against Adam, Hava, and the serpent, that that was all of mankind. That right there. Because we all came from that. You know, and so it's just kind of like, so what is the deal with before an angry God? Because when you look at what's actually going on, it's like, this is not a good place for us to be. So the anger is not an end mean for everything. It's like, it's a, it's a wake up call. It's lights on the dashboard. You have an opportunity to hear this and understand this. Take to heart. Why were you created? What was the oath that your soul swore before Hashem? You know, Hashem asked that we would choose to be righteous before he sent us to the earth, you know, kind of thing. So it's just kind of one of those things where if we really look at the big picture, it's not that Hashem is going to force us. A good parent is going to let his child know what the boundaries are and what the standard is. And if they don't meet it, they're going to help them meet it. And if they can't be helped, then they're going to figure out more helpful means to help them meet it. They're not just going to be like, well, I'm just going to destroy you now. <laughs> so, anyway. Come on. What should we go on to verse uh, 21? Bring it on. Because even though they, in actual fact, knew God... They did not describe him kavod, glory as God, or gave hadoyah, thanksgiving to him, but became fulfilled with havel, fertility, vanity, emptiness, worthlessness, in their thinking, and their senseless levavot, their hearts were darkened. Man. All right, I'll let you go first on this one. All right, well... Um, I want to tie it into um, well, a couple of things, all kind of in a circle here. Um, back to what we had hit on earlier about the Habakkuk's statement, in which he says, "The righteous shall live by faith." Come on. And um, it really ties into, well, obviously, verse twenty um, and twenty-one. That this this goes back to belief, and that's why he goes back to Bereshit. He's speaking about Bereshit, and he's speaking about Adam. And all his his children, um, and that they're liable to, I mean, they're yeah, they're they're without excuse for their sin, they're they're, out, they're without excuse for their disbelief, um, and that's just it. That Shaul is wanting, at least obviously in the whole letter, like we talked about earlier, is that he's wanting his converts to obey, obey Hashem through a genuine amuna, through a genuine um, faith. <coughs> And so uh, I have here in every man's Talmud, which is kind of a condensed version of the Talmud, uh, major teachings of the rabbinic sages by Abraham Cohen. Cool. To encourage uh, those who are just, you know, tap, just kind of tiptoeing um, in and getting familiar with the Talmud to, to definitely purchase this if they have the means. Um, definitely gives a, you know, definitely need to buy the whole set, but uh, nonetheless, something where to start. So this one I'm taking from uh, Faith and Prayer. Um, under the Doctrine of Men, page 179, uh, 
Uh, it says, let's see here, where to start. The kinship between God and man, that is Adam, which results from his spiritual equipment, places him places upon him the responsibility of proving himself worthy of this of this heavenly gift. Mm. If honor had been has been conferred upon man as Adam by his children by his having been created in the divine likeness, a corresponding obligation rests upon him of living his life so as to win the approval of his maker. So that is that is in contrast to what Shul is speaking about here about them who are darkened in heart and senseless in mind and are living wickedly. Uh, what then is expected to, of him? The answer is given in this sentence. Seven qualities avail before the throne of glory. Amuna, faith, righteousness, justice, loving kindness, mercy, truth, and peace. Mm. These are crowning virtues in the first place is assigned to faith, which indeed is declared to be the principle upon which the whole relationship of man, Adam, and his children with God ultimately rests. So again, I'm going to repeat this because it's so important. The 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 first place is the sign of faith, which indeed is declared to be the principle, the foundation upon which the whole relationship of Adam with God is ultimately rests. So really, if you're to you know break it down to the most basic degree, uh, basic I guess unit or most basic of principles uh, of of Torah of Judaism of reality itself is first place is first place Ramuna. and Shaul speaks about this. He says. Um, you know, one is to believe in God and as, and as a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Um, and that's what, that's what pleases God at first and foremost. And without that, then you can't move on and build this, the building blocks and the other foundations that are essential. Um, and this, and so they, they go on. Let me just continue here. They say 613 mitzvot were addressed to Moshe, 365 prohibitions corresponding to the number of uh, days in the soil year and 248 positive commandments corresponding to the number of limbs in the human body. So, and then they go on and they speak about several righteous people of, who have condensed this down, these 630 commandments, as to what what it means to uh, win the approval of Hashem or what uh, what is the obligation of Adam and his children. So this is not just to, to the Jew, they're saying to Adam and his children. Mm. So they're going back to the very beginning. And, he's, and David comes and reduces them to 11 principles, which are numerated in Psalms. Isaiah came and reduced them to six. As it is said, he that walketh righteously speaketh uprightly, and he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh the ha- his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing the blood, and shutteth his eyes from looking upon e- of evil. Micah came and reduced them to three. As it is written, what does the Lord require of thee but to justly love mercy and walk humbly with thy God? Mike Isaiah subsequently reduces them to two, as it is said, Thus said the Adonai, Keep ye justice and do righteousness. Lastly, when all is said and done, came Habakkuk, the prophet, and reduced them to one. As it is said, the righteous shall live by his faith. So it's really condensed all down the Torah itself, with the 613 commandments given to Mount Sinai from Moshe to all Israel, is the righteous shall live by faith. And the sages point out that faith was the distinguished feature in the lives of the hero of the Bible and also of Israel by which they merited the special favor of God. Great is the faith with which Israel believed in him who spake and the world came into being. 
Going back to Bereshit again. In reward for this faith, the Holy Spirit rested upon them, and they uttered a song, as it is said, they believed in Adonai and Moshe, his servant, which is immediately followed by, they sang Moshe and the children of Israel, the song of Adonai. They go on further, and other examples are cited in the context, and it concludes in, with the statement, whoever receives upon himself a single mitzvah in faith is worthy of the reception, is worthy of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Many of the commandments which God gave to Moshe for Israel had their object to instilling the faith into the people. Two striking instances are furnished with such interpretation in uh, Nishamot. It is related that Moshe held his hands aloof during the fight with the Amalekites. And the question is asked, how can the hands of Moshe give victory to Israel or break the might of Amalek? But all the time he held his hands up toward the Shemaim. The Israelites kept gazing at him and believing in him who commanded Moshe to act thus. And the Holy One, blessed be he, performed miracles on their behalf. So in, in their belief, he did miracles in response on their behalf. Similarly, with the making of the bronze serpent, Bamidbar, could the image of the serpent kill or save life? But the Israelites kept looking at it and believing in him, who commanded Moshe to act thus, and the Holy One, blessed be he, performed a cure for them in response to their faith in both, so these, both these acts. And so it followed along with what you had said earlier, um, which is in Yochanan 3, he says, uh, you are a Rav in Israel, and you do not know this. A man of men, I say to you that, you will sp that we will speak of what we know, and we testify what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony of the truth, the light. For I told you about earthly matters, how you not believe, how will you not believe when I tell you of matters of the Shemaim? No one has gone up in the Shemaim except the one who came down from the Shemaim, the son of man who is in Shemaim. And just as Moshe elevated the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of Adam be lifted up. So that none who none who believe in him will perish, but rather they will live eternal life. For God loved the world, Jew, Gentile, <laughs> Adam, and Lord, with an abundant love to the extent, to the utmost degree, that he gave his only son, his only Ben, so that all who believe, Jew and Gentile, slavery, all the like, all of Adam's children who believe in him will not perish from the wrath to come, from the God's judgment but will rather live eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to sentence the world, condemn the world, but rather so that the world may be saved in him. One who believes in him, continues in believing in him, will not be sentenced to, death, to, 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 to the wrath of God. But whoever will not believe in him is already sentenced to, to death, to destiny, Gehenna. For he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the verdict. The light came into the world, but the sons of men, the sons of Adam, the children of Adam, love the darkness, more than the light, because their deeds are evil. For all who are unjust, for do, do unjust, hate the light, and will not come to the light, so that they may not be rebuked for their deeds. But, but one who does the truth comes to the light, so that it may be revealed that his deeds are done with God, from God. So it all goes back to, um, you know, these elements, for example, are these two elements described in every man's Talmud, carries the same spirit um, and the same uh, weight as as um, Yeshua being crucified on the cross, that just as um, just as the Moshe lifted up his, his hands and the battle was won on their behalf because of that faith in him lifting up his hands, and then as the same as when Hashem uh, did miracles on, on their behalf when they kept gazing up to heaven 
Um, and yeah, like, when they come looking at the serpent, so two, we who continue to look at the at Mashiach and him crucified, and placing the trust of our righteousness in his in his own in his in his righteousness, that will be accounted to us as righteousness, just as just as they were accounted righteous by their faith in these matters. So too, we the same, and God will perform acts on our behalf in light of that faith. And that's why Shaul speaks about in Galatians, he says, you know, did, did, you, did you receive the gifts of the Spirit because of your obedience to the Torah, the mitzvot, or because you're a Muna? No, it's because you're a Muna. And so just as Hashem responded to their faith in looking at Moshe in his hands, you know, as it says these hands were held, and just they looked and looked at the serpent. So too, we look at Mashiach, and the Spirit testifies to the to that message, to that reality um, that has taken place, and bears witness with our spirit um, that that is you know that is the one of the acts major acts of Hashem. So so too so this faith that we have in Hashem <clears throat> includes um, you know believing in Bereshit, believing in all. All aspects of of Judaism, um, both the giving of the Torah and Mashiach's crucifixion. So I'm just going to leave it at that, and you will uh, take it from there. Well, first of all, that was epic, tying in the fact that the knowledge that Hashem has given us is the same thing that we have seen throughout the Torah and as well throughout the Gospels. And Mashiach Yeshua's words to Nakdimon, which is commonly known as Nicod- who is commonly known as Nicodemus, just really echoing all of that. Like the light came into the world, but we didn't want no part of it, so our hearts became darkened. Okay, so first of all, that was legit. I just want to let you know. Amazing. And what a beautiful transition into the final point that I really wanted to bring home from verse 21, because I'm really going to go into the little Aleph and Vayikra and the Akedah, because that's the ultimate offering. And again, shouts out to Rabbi Griffin. <laughs> I'm just going to shameless plug him as much as I can, because if you aren't listening to Aliyah Day, please just give it a listen, because he's really clearing up a lot of misconceptions. So the first thing is the little Aleph in Vayikra. So the very first verse is Vayikra, and it's talking about Hashem. Calling out to Moshe, the very first word, just by Ikra. See, this is what the this is what is so cool about studying Torah. You don't really have to read the whole verse to start going crazy. You just read one word, and it's just like, and let's spend about a half hour on it. <laughs> but so when you look at that little olive, that little olive has a connotation of being bound, of being constricted, of being confined. And when you are making yourself into an Akedah, you're constricting yourself, you're confining yourself, okay, you're being bound. So, the verse that you were mentioning about the hands of Moshe and the people looking up to see his hands and remembering the one who commanded Moshe, 
is so amazing because we get to see that it's not what we see, but it's what we believe. But we have to see what we believe. And we see what we believe by doing. So the fact that the people are looking at Moshe, they're professing their belief in Hashem. So is it any different that we're looking at Mashiach and professing our belief in Hashem? Well, I'm going to submit to you that it's not different because Rebbe Nachman on Shemot 17.12 from Parashat Beshalach brings down the Hebrew. It says, Vayahi Yadav Emuna Ad Bo Hashemish. Now you heard me say Emuna, right? So check this out. That phrase is, and his hands remained steady until the sunset. The Emuna is the, the status of Moshe's hands. And the word is raised or steady, steadfast. He comments on this word. He says his hands were literally faith. We must spread faith through the entire body so that it reaches even the extremities, i.e. the hands. Because faith starts in the heart. We're going to learn that later in the Agedit series in chapter 10, specifically verse 9. Because you got to confess with your mouth what's in your heart. Because you got to like express all that and bring it out. But your faith is not complete until it reaches out through your hands. That's why faith without works is illegitimate. Okay, you might as well just call it demonic activity at best. Because even the demons have Imuna. They just don't, well, they have the first part. They just don't have the rest of it. Because Imuna is believing and doing. That's literally what that word means. But the fact of just having a belief, the demons have that part. They just don't do it. So it's just kind of like, in which side are we on? We're on the light side, right? Okay, so we need to lighten up. Now, continuing on, Rebbe Nachman, he says the entire body, okay, faith got to spread through to it reaches the extremities, even the hands. Then when a person elevates his hands in prayer, he lifts up his prayers. When we are lifting our hands in a worship song or if we're lifting our hands while we're praying, Especially when we're doing Netilat Yadayim, we're causing that to ascend into the heavenlies, just like the smoke that comes off the top of the altar after the Corban note are placed on it. Okay, so first thing, that's just uncalled for. But then it says, one who prays properly can invoke the power of salvation, such as that associated with Mashiach. Thus, when Moshe prayed, the Israelites were successful against Amalek. So, that's from Parsha Beshalot. So, back over here to Rabbi Nosen Wise, which would be in the Sephardi world, Rabbi Natan Wise. He's commenting on the Akidat Yitzhak, the binding of Isaac. It says the temple is a living manifestation of a perfect integration between the spiritual and the physical. God's presence, entirely spiritual, becomes physically manifest. 
Okay. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I mean, come on. And Hashem is spirit. And the only way you can see that spirit, the only way it can be revealed is in the temple, the place where there is Avoda, Torah, and Chesed, where there is prayer, where there is Torah study, and where there are acts of kindness. That's how you see the manifestation of Hashem. Okay, so then it says we can detect his presence in the temple with our physical senses. The divine presence in the temple is called the Shekinah. So what is the Shekinah? Let's everybody, let's say what the definition of Shekinah is. The divine presence as it is manifest in the temple. That's the Shekinah. Now, the Shekinah is currently in exile. So what does that mean? That means the Shekinah is not physically manifest in a way that we can grasp it with our physical senses, but it is here with us in exile because the Shekinah was exiled with us. That's why we have to understand that we're outside the camp. Mashiach's outside the camp. The Shekinah's outside the camp. Oh, this sounds like Parashakitisa. When Moshe took his tent outside the camp in Shemot 33. So the same thing, by the way, use that as a prototype for understanding where we are in our exile, because Moshe's tent was the place of the Shekinah, the place of Yehoshua, which is Yeshua, Ben Nun, and it's the place where the women went to pray. And it is the place that was considered holy and pure that's outside the camp. So if we're having any kind of uh, resentment, whatsoever that we're not widely accepted as believers in Yeshua into the Jewish community, just understand we're outside the camp right now. But eventually the Shekinah is going to go back inside the camp. And guess what? That's what happened in Parashat Pekude. And that's what led us into Vayikra. So when we're in Vayikra, it's the completion of everything. So let me finish because there's a lot more here and I just want to do the best I can. Okay, here we go. Warp speed, go. So, Shekinah is a derivative of the word Shochen, meaning residing or resting in a way of everyday mundane existence, i.e. holiness in our everyday lives, moment by moment, hour by hour. Okay, pray without ceasing much. Then it says, such an integration of the spiritual with the physical is the first harbinger of the perfect integration of the resurrection. Abraham's ability to carry out the sacrifice with the enthusiasm appropriate to an act of love transform the emotion of fear and rage into love. The negative became the positive because bringing a sacrifice, there is an element of fear, there's an element of rage because there is a death that is taking place. In order for something to die, there has to be a little bit push from that side. Not saying that kosher slaughtering is evil and wicked, but something is losing its life. That's not nice. Okay? Anyway, the negative became positive. The physical was subsumed by the spiritual. Death had become transformed into life. For now I know you are a God-fearing man, since you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. In Hebrew, the word fear, like God-fearing man, and the word see share a common root. To fear and to see share a common root. It's called Yerah. 
Abraham's fear of God transformed God's spiritual presence. The invisible became visible. It gave mankind its first glimpse of the temple and of the resurrection that it represents. The Akidat Yitzhak is not about the death. It's not about the sacrifice that was brought. It's about the fact of through the sacrifice came the resurrection. This is why we cannot stop at the death of Messiah on the crucifixion stake, but we have to continue on and beyond with his resurrection and the life. That's why he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. So, the invisible things of Hashem that are known and clearly seen, and because we must glorify him, I'm using the opposites of these two verses because that's the goal. The goal is not to do what these verses contain is to do the opposite. So it's for us to clearly see, to clearly understand and be without excuse and know Hashem and glorify him and be thankful and not look into the vanities of our own sight, but look into fearing Hashem, serving him, bringing holiness into our everyday reality and mundanity. Baruch Hashem. Amen. Yeah, so I should have cleared that, clarified that, that that really, you know, the only reason why we make the distinction between Yeshua, Ben Yosef, and any other righteous man who's suffered on behalf of Israel, you know, any of the Zodics in the, of the past is because Mashiach Yeshua has been raised, testifying that, that it was he, he alone was accepted as the, uh, as favored by Hashem. Come on, man. Wow. <laughs> Well, I'll let you say the famous phrase that is so true. <laughs> what do we know? What do we know? Amen. Barukata Adonai Elheinu Malak Olam Ashir Natanan Lanu Torat Amet Bekaye Olam Natan Matokinu Barukata Adonai Notena Torah. Amen. Todar Baha Bibi. Well, Shalom, Shalom. Shavuot Tov. Shalom, Shavuot Tov.